The Atlanta Braves lose a big part of their front office on Thursday with Dana Brown becoming the new general manager of the Houston Astros. Where do the Braves go from here? What are they going to do in the booth as well with Chip Carey leaving for St. Louis? A lot of questions to get answered today from you on Twitter, including how many All-Stars will the Atlanta Braves have this upcoming season? I got Grant McCauley joining me on this episode to answer all of your Twitter questions. So we got a lot to get to in this episode of Locked On Braves. So let's get into it. You are Locked On Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, and welcome back to Lockdown Braves, part of Lockdown Sports Atlanta, where we cover your favorite Atlanta sports teams each and every day. I am your host, Jake Mastriani. You can follow me on Twitter at shortstopball. Also, make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown underscore Braves. Send in any questions, comments, feedback that you have. This podcast in particular will be built mostly on the Twitter questions that you provided. So thank you so much for doing that. Also, make sure if you're new, you subscribe to us on YouTube of over 4,000 subscribers on YouTube now. So, again, appreciate all the support there. If you're watching this video, hit that thumbs up button. And thanks for making Lockdown Braves your first listen of every day. Before we get into this episode, I want to remind you that it's brought to you by Fan Duel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash lockdown today to get started. And we got a big episode for you. We got Grant McCauley joining the podcast, talk about the Dana Brown news, Chip Carey news as well, and get into your Twitter questions. So with that, let me bring Grant in. Grant, glad to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Been a hot minute, but we're getting uh, minute by minute that much closer to spring training. And we got a lot of news to talk about for middle to late January, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, we've been getting together, you know, about every two or three weeks. Next time we get together... Yes, we're going to be talking spring training yeah. here. It's uh, it's getting close. It's not too far away. Looking really excited or getting really excited mm-hmm. for that. Before we get into the Twitter questions today, though, Grant, I want to talk about the news of the day. And we kind of call, saw this coming for a couple of days now, and that's Dana Brown, uh, the former vice president of scouting for the past four years for the Atlanta Braves. Knew he was heavily uh, involved in the GM search by the Astros and may have been their front runner. Well, it turns out he was their guy and that is who they have hired as their GM. So that's a big loss for the Braves. You know, been a part of some really key drafts for them recently. Guys like Michael Harris, Vaughn Grissom, Spencer Strider, Shay Langoliers, obviously this most recent group as well. And we got several questions on this. So I just wanted to go ahead and kick us, kick it off with this questions from Ramsey Latimer and Gus, you know, where do the Braves go next? You know, you don't have to necessarily get into that because I'm not, Smart enough, I'll tell you to know who's gonna, you know, be in the running for that job. I have no idea. I'm sure they'll get somebody great. They have already said that they have no intentions of placing re- replacing him right now, just because it's so close to the start of the season. But Grant, your just thoughts on, you know, the loss of Dana Brown, what he meant to the team, and possibly where the Braves go from here. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think if you spend enough time around people and you get to know them and you see them get a great opportunity like this, I mean, congratulations to Dana Brown because, I mean, how many guys get the opportunity to be a general manager of a major league baseball team? Not altogether that many. So uh, a big feather in his cap, a big opportunity for him. And, of course, we know the Houston Astros are a club that has some very high expectations when it comes to October and November baseball 
as the case may be. So a great opportunity for him. Uh, and, and as far as what he did with the Braves, I mean, I think a lot of people it, with the absence of Brian Bridges or departure of Brian Bridges were kind of wondering what exactly are the Braves going to do here? How much of a step back are they going to take from a player development standpoint? And I wouldn't say that they took all together of a, a big step back. In fact, I would say they did a nice job of continuing to replenish that pipeline and, and they've had some pretty good draft classes and clearly some of these guys have already blossomed into major league pieces for the Braves, like Michael Harris II, like Spencer Strider. Shea Langoliers was the centerpiece, I think, of that Matt Olson trade. But I think every prospect that went to Oakland for Matt Olson was drafted under Dana Brown's watch. So a lot of these assets were turned into, well, other than Christian Pache, I guess, you put him outside of that. But as far as draft picks and non-international signings, they used those pieces to go out and get a, a very important piece of their club in Matt Olson. And then you saw, again, what some of these guys have done. So uh, I think some some pretty nice draft classes and the Braves, they always seem to have a plan. And, and one of the things that you know, I think, is an executive that has aspirations of doing other things and knowing that different guys might be given different opportunities outside of the organization. You have to go out and have some kind of uh, guys lined up. And I'm sure that they've got some people that maybe they have their eye on. But like you said, they don't have to do this immediately. But I think just the initial reaction is, this is going to be big shoes to fill, and I think justifiably so, just based on what the Braves have done the last four years with Dana Brown in charge of scouting. And I think it's a compliment to the Braves front office. And, you know, yeah. while while you hate to see, you know, coaches, executives get poached away by other teams, mm-hmm. it's a compliment to say, you know, your organization is doing the right things and they're moving in the, the right direction. And, you know, I'm sure any executive, Alex Andopoulos, you know, Dana Brown would tell you it's not just one person. Yeah, no. Dana Brown's a loss, but there's a lot of people in there helping make those decisions and giving their input. So yeah, it, it is going to be big shoes to fill, as you said, but I think this Braves front office is in very good shape. I think they have a lot of good personnel in there. They'll take the things that, you know, they've learned from Dana Brown with him being there, but I think they're still going to be in pretty good shape going forward. I don't have a, a lot of worries about that. I just think they have a really good system. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, they clearly have a a very good structure in place. There's just no way around that. But I mean, you know, when you think about the guy who's the director of scouting, yeah, we look at the draft classes in the month of June and that's one thing you look at now the Braves can get back into international signing. They just did a whole bunch of that, but I thought it was great. Really the story that Alex Andopoulos told uh, in October of 2021 after the Braves had advanced in the NLCS that, Hey, Dana Brown was the guy who was ringing my phone up, you know, blowing me up saying, Hey, you got to go sign this guy, Tyler Matzik. He's pitching an independent ball. We need to get him. And this was in 2019 when the Braves really had no plans for him uh, being Tyler Matzik. And they ended up signing him to, I believe, what is kind of an unorthodox multi-year minor league deal so that they would have him again in 2020. And we all know how that story played out. So I thought it was fun to just look at the fingerprints and the different moves and the different uh, parts of that plan that really all can come together including finding reclamation projects like Tyler Matzik. That was just another thing that Dana Brown did and brought to the table and something else the Braves will hope to find somebody who is equally as inventive and creative and, um, you know, is able to you know bring the pieces in that the Braves will need both in the drafts and the international side. And of course, finding those players out there that just might have been given up on by other clubs that could play a big role for the Braves. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, it's going to be a lot, a big loss, big shoes to fill, but I feel confident in the Braves organization. They'll find the right person going forward. And it's important for them because they need to build up uh, this farm system that's been used with the graduations and the trades. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is going to be important going forward. Now, 
The other news of the week, and we talked about this on Wednesday's podcast, but Chip Carey leaving to go to St. Louis and obviously got a lot of people asking, you know, who's going to replace him, what it's going to be. You know, Grant, I know you're, you know, more in tune with that side of things and just the process of of how it works. And, you know, had several listeners reach out, you know, hoping that, you know, perhaps you get a, an opportunity somewhere in all this. I've had even yeah. one saying that me and you should take over in the booth, which I know nobody wants me on there. But if you could just maybe give your, um, you know, thoughts on the, the process, of, especially this late in the game of finding somebody to replace him and maybe who some ideal candidates might be. Yeah, and really unexpected, I think, would probably mm -hmm. be the word that I put on it. But again, as I said with Dana Brown, I'll say it again with Chip Carey and Chip, who I know much better than you know my dealings with Dana, were kind of limited in scope. But Chip has been somebody who's been instrumental in my career as an encourager to you know to go out and to chase the dream of working in baseball, being in baseball broadcasting, and maybe one day, who knows, calling baseball games for a major league team. That would certainly be wonderful. But as I looked at this opportunity and and kind of the bloodlines that went into it. You know, the Braves have had a carry in the booth since the, what, 1976 season when Skip mm -hmm. Carey joined it. So it's going to be a big change to, to not have any carries calling the game uh, after, you know, Chip you know, going on to St. Louis. But St. Louis is, of course, the place that Harry Carey uh, started to build his legacy. It got even bigger with the Cubs and uh, just in the city of Chicago in general. But I don't know where they turn necessarily, especially on what feels like short notice to replace him. I don't know that you necessarily have to have the pressure of, anointing the guy who's going to be there for the next 18 or 20 years. That may not just be part of this. It may be finding someone that fits and you know, making a hire that can help complement some of the pieces they have in place. But I do feel like you need that traditional play-by-play -play guy that helps the former players and the guys who are kind of there to give their color commentary, their opportunity to chime in and do it that way. So that I think is what they could be looking at. I know a lot of people have, have been like, oh, well, can they change things in the radio side? And I don't want to speak for anyone because that's certainly not my place. I don't know that they would change one department to fix another department and then have to, to fix that second department or, or backfill the other department, but who knows? They may have to get creative with this whole thing, but whatever the case, it's an incredible honor to call baseball games. And I know I love the, the opportunity I had to do it in the minor leagues for some time and to do it at the big league level, whoever gets that job, I'm sure they're going to be stoked about that. Even if you've already had that job, I'm sure that feeling never really goes away. So uh, TV side, I feel like they would go with somebody who would be a hire that has TV experience. If I had to just kind of you know, spitball at what kind of candidates they could be looking at, uh, there are a, a number of guys out there. I know Mark Bowman mentioned Tom Hart. Uh, I met Tom when he was working doing the sideline reporting for the Braves uh, back, what, about 10 years ago now. Tom's done some great work on ESPN. Uh, he would be a nice fit. Otherwise, a lot of other guys are kind of locked in with other teams, yeah. so I don't really know exactly where they would turn. Yeah, that was kind of what I talked about the other day. It You may not get a permanent solution this right. year. It may just kind of be a revolving door uh, throughout this season because it is so late in the game. But I do agree. I think eventually at some point, you know, they need to get that, you know, play-by-play -play guy, TV-type uh, announcer. Because um, it is. It's your your voice of summer. A lot of people, you know, yep. bring in the game through television, and that's how they, they take it in. And it's very important to them. Had a lot of people – uh, in the podcast on Wednesday, reach out that they they love Chip Gary. They're going to miss his voice. And I like the story that you shared as well on, on Twitter yeah. about your experience with Chip Gary. If you haven't had a chance to go uh, read that, um, go do that. It's a really good story kind of behind the scenes there with, with Chip Gary and the type of influence and person that he is. So we'll be a big miss for sure. Just looking forward to see who the new voice is. Uh, on TV for the Braves. Other thing I wanted to get your your thoughts on or Fan Fest. I know you were able to go be there in attendance, and it's more of a fan you know thing. But 
I thought there was, you know, some pretty interesting news bits that came out of there. Was there anything from FanFest that stood out to you, whether just the experience of the fan or just, you know, things you heard from the players about the upcoming season? Yeah, I'll tell you, we heard an awful lot, and I'm going to have much of that on From the Diamond over the next probably four to five weeks leading up to spring training. I'll be down at spring training when pitchers and catchers report for hopefully about a week and a half or so just to get some further insights. But this was the by far the most media-heavy fan fest that I've been a part of. It's the first one they had done since 2020. Uh, when they did that one, I was hosting a pregame or a show for the day for three hours with Ben Ingram. And they were bringing us plenty of guests when you're doing a live radio show. But when I'd covered it before, you know, 2018 and prior, it was really just uh, much more laid back and they bring guys in here and there. And, you know, you talk to six, seven players and that was kind of the scope of it, but they brought eight, nine, 10 players in and they sat down for full media sessions. And we got to really run the gamut of everything from uh, you know, the departure of Dansby Swanson and where the Braves feel like they are uh, with Vaughn Grissom, hopefully stepping into that role. I thought the comments of Travis Darno were really interesting and were kind of echoed by some of the veteran players, including Austin Riley. They're going to miss Dansby Swanson. They know that the Cubs got a great player in Dansby Swanson, but they don't feel like this team ever really has just one voice. Different guys play a, ro a different role at different times during the season. It kind of feels like in kind of what I was you know, curious about and what I kind of heard from the players is the leadership is kind of a little bit like a baton or it's it links of a chain. And that's where they feel like they're able to be at their strongest. So, Departure of Dansby was big news. Vaughn Grissom, he seems to have the right attitude to come in, and he knows that this is not a job that's going to be handed to him. He knows it's an opportunity he's playing for and wants to win, hands down, that starting shortstop job. Um, obviously, none of the guys were happy about the early postseason exit. I talked about some of the new rules changes, more stolen bases perhaps, uh, all the pickoff moves being a little bit more limited. There's going to be some interesting things, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it in spring training. But two guys, I will tell you, it was good to see come in, big smiles on their faces and feeling and declaring themselves 100% healthy. Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies, those guys bouncing back from you know, injury-plagued seasons or just off-seasons by their standards, that could really help vault the 2023 Braves forward. And one other guy talking about injury mm -hmm. who seems to be 100% healthy is Mike Soroka, and he's going to be competing for the fifth starter spot with, among others, his best friend on the team, Ian Anderson. I did not know that before I went to FanFest. Yeah, I saw that as well. They're actually going to be rooming together yep. while they compete for a job. That'll be that'll be interesting as well. I think that was the biggest takeaways for me from that was Mike Soroka having a normal offseason, being full go, ready to go once spring training comes. Yeah. And then the Von Grissom stuff that you talked about as well. The I just I love the attitude that he's taking into it. And you know, I think that's the right approach. And I think he has the confidence that he needs, but uh, kind of going into it knowing he's going to have to earn the job and he's going to have to prove himself. So, yeah. uh, you know, that was some of the, the things that I took away as well from afar, just kind of watching Fan Fest. But kind of want to get your thoughts, you know, feet on the ground there and just kind of the yeah. atmosphere and what you heard. So that's great. It looked like it was a great time. I said, you know, my kids get a little older. I can't, you know, can't wait to take them there. It looks like a, a great time for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, I want to get into some of the Twitter questions that we have out there. So I'm uh, going to jump into those now, talking about, uh, some predictions for the upcoming season as well. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to get into, and we'll discuss those here next. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. That's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports 
fun and easy. New customers can join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make sure you use that link, FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from your money line to point spreads to player props. You got the NFL games coming up this weekend. The Eagles right now got them as a two-and-a-half-point favorite over the 49ers, and the Chiefs are now a one-point favorite over the Bengals. When I read that line on Wednesday, the Bengals were favored, so that line has moved a little bit there. You can check all that out at FanDuel. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So, football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, Grant, jumping into the Twitter questions. A couple on the Hall of Fame from Gus who says, Will Andrew Jones and Billy Wagner get in the hall next year? And what current Braves do you think can one day make the Hall of Fame? A good question from Gus there. Yeah, very good question. And I think that the trends that we saw, voting trends for Billy Wagner and for Andrew Jones, even for Gary Sheffield, who's moving into his final year on the ballot next year, it's going to be tough for him to get 20% to jump up from the 55% that he rose to. But each one of those guys saw at least a 15% bump this year. And you think about how far Andrew Jones has come from 2018 and 2019, for that matter, when almost he was, got left off the, almost got kicked yeah, off the ballot. Just over seven percent of the vote. I think it was. I went back and did the math. Eleven or twelve votes away from falling below that five percent, which is what you have to have to to remain on the ballot. And we've seen a lot of guys. I mean, Kenny Lofton fell off. I think after one year, Lou Whitaker fell off after one year. I think Tim Hudson might have made it into a second year, but those first couple of guys, I think, are going to have Hall of Fame candidacies that the errors committees are going to take a really close look at, and maybe Huddy as well. I don't know. If you're talking about Mark Burley having a Hall of Fame case, I don't know how you can't look at Tim Hudson and say he's got as good a case or better. But anyway, uh, Andrew Jones, I think it might not be next year, but I think it, that by 2025, he's going to find his way in. As far as Billy Wagner, I think anybody that's gotten to the 68% at the you know the 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 very next year they usually make that jump or they always make that jump if you've gotten to at least that level I saw that a couple of different places by some guys who cover the Hall of Fame pretty regularly uh, I think Jay Jaffe was one of those or at least he retweeted it and so I would take that as an endorsement if you're Jay and you do as much of the Hall of Fame as he does and Jason Stark wrote a pretty good column about this as well it just seems like these guys are on a trajectory to get there now and it's crazy to think for Andrew I mean the crowded ballot was one thing. But I also feel like if Andrew Jones were playing his career, two things, at this time where there's such a light on analytics and the advanced metrics and the defensive value, I think that his career would be looked at totally differently. The second one I would say is keeping in mind that this guy came up and basically played every day from the age of 20 to, you know, what, 31, 32 before he started to really decline. I mean, this was a guy that had an incredible 10-year peak and has, you know, really – if he had come up, say, at 23, 24 and had been aging out in his mid to late 30s like most guys were instead of kind of starting to fade in his early 30s, maybe he'd be looked at a little bit differently. I just can't help but think that. I know the 254 batting average isn't knocking anybody down, but if you're allowing Andrew Jones's batting average to take away from what he gave, particularly the Atlanta Braves, and really showed all of baseball for a decade worth of gold gloves and 430-plus home runs, then you are missing the boat on the value of one of the most dominant defensive players at any position all time. Long story short, I think Andrew Jones gets in, if not next year, then the year after. I think Billy Wagner gets in next year. Yeah, I do I do as well. And look, my argument for Andrew has always been simple. If Ozzie Smith is in purely on defense, and he is purely on defense, and he is the greatest shortstop defensively, 
Andrew Jones to me is, if not the best defensive center fielder ever, at least one of the top three. Yeah. Uh, and I think he needs to be in on that alone, not to mention the 400 plus home yeah. runs as well. Yeah, and, and when you're on a list and you're talking about greatest defensive center fielders of all time, really, wh- who's the other name that you hear? The one other name that you hear? Willie Mays. Willie Mays. Or King Griffey Jr. Yeah, well, if you're on a list with Willie Mays, as far as defensively speaking, I mean, and Griffey was great too, but I just don't think he yeah. was transcendent defensively. What he was was transcendent offensively. He's one of the greatest baseball players of all time, and he has a, a different look. But if you're judging Andrew by King Griffey Jr., then, yeah, he doesn't look like Jr. He didn't have the lofty batting averages, the MVP seasons necessarily, though he did win a Hank Aaron Award and has the Braves' single-season home run record in a franchise in which Hank Aaron played for, which I think means a little bit of something. And again, it was the way that he went about that defense. Just an absolute master class. I tweeted a few videos. I don't know if you saw those the other day mm-hmm. of Andrew robbing a three-run double in the right center field gap, ending a game with a diving play in the left center field gap. And then, of course, I had to cap it off with a cherry on top, which is that ridiculous Spider-Man catch where he just stuck to the wall, bounced off like this is a thing I do. Yeah. I've never seen anybody do that before, and I haven't seen anybody do it since. Yeah. Eat your heart out, Willie Mays. Exactly. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, I watch those videos and I, I love seeing them every time. And what I love is by the time the camera am- angle pans from the batter to center field, Andrew Jones is in full sprint, mm-hmm. like on the move, like the best jumps that you've ever seen. It, it truly is ridiculous. Now, the other question Gus had, what current Braves do you think yeah. can one day make the Hall of Fame? I, I think it's too early to say, and I know he's asking, asking us to reject Obviously, Acuna, I think, is the most talented Braves player. And if he has a long career and produces like he is, I think he's destined for it one day. I'll say one player, current player that I think gets in the Hall of Fame in a Braves uniform is Freddie Freeman. I think yeah. he's the most likely. I think he has a couple more years like he has had recently. I think he gets in and I think he goes in as a Brave. Yeah, I was about to say it's hard to you – know, you can't really look at Ronald Acuna Jr. and be able to project it necessarily because, I mean, there are a lot of players that in their 20s that come up, they're, they're a phenom, they're among the best players, but injuries and different things kind of you know, tell their story. And Ronald has a chance right now at the age of 25 to get his career back on track, and he has – the sky's the limit for this guy. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say future Hall of Famer about anybody at that age, but – I'm not going to not say it either because I do think he is that yeah. good as far as talent's concerned. But yeah, Freddie Freeman is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I think that uh, there was an article I saw of current players and like what tier of Hall of Famer that they really are. I mean, you know that Mike Trout, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, some of these guys are, you know that they're automatic. I think Freddie has started to move into, if not that tier, then the one right below it. And I think Paul mm-hmm. Goldschmidt's there. There's a whole bunch of, you know, Miguel Cabrera would be in that top tier as well. You know, he's going to go in the hall. Uh, Albert Pujols, if we're looking at guys who just retired. But uh, yeah, I think Freddie is the next Braves player that goes into the Hall of Fame. And it's going to be really interesting to see when exactly that happens. I was uh, kind of ballparking maybe 2034, 2035, something like that. Yeah. If he's all done playing and waits out his five years, it could be. You know, something to uh, make plans for in a, about a decade and a half. <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're playing that far ahead, good for you. Yeah. Um, other kind of topic, and this is kind of newsworthy today as well, is the uh, pending bankruptcy for Bally Sports. Somebody, had, you know, we had questions on that as well. Yeah. And I don't know if from the media side of things that you you know know more about that than hopefully I do. But uh, the question in particular from E. Gold, he said, do you guys have any idea on how Bally's potential bankruptcy might impact how, if 
we can or can't watch Braves games. So I didn't know if you had anything that you could share on that. Yeah, I did see something interesting. I don't know how many of you guys follow Awful Announcing um, on Twitter, but I do. I find it to be both informative and very entertaining, just being in my particular business. But when I looked at the stuff that they put up about uh, Sinclair and Diamond Sports and, and some of the financial stuff that they're dealing with, and I know that Rob Manfred, I, I believe was at the winter meetings, had made some kind of comments that alluded to, hey, we got to figure out this whole pesky blackouts thing. we got to figure out a, a way to better service our fans, something like that. It was kind of cryptic at the time. But now if you look at you know, some of these contracts these RSNs have for paying rights fees, are those going to be paid if they enter into Chapter 11 bankruptcy? I, I don't know. I, I, no. I'm not a financial expert. But the more and more that I look into it, it'll be interesting to see the financial ramifications and the ripple effect that that could very well have. I don't know that it's necessarily going to knock out blackouts this particular year, but I'd love to see those go away. And I don't know if it's a subscription-based process that you could go to where it's like, hey, I want to subscribe to the Braves. I'm going to pay X amount of, you know, uh, X amount a month for it, and that's fine with me. Of course, a lot of us or a lot of people, you know, that were kind of cutting the cord for cable and going all these streaming options, but now the streaming options are more expensive and everybody's got a streaming platform. So why am I not just paying for cable if I'm paying for 17 different streaming channels? I, I don't know, or streaming services. The whole thing's very convoluted, but it would be to Major League Baseball's uh, great benefit and to the really the benefit of the fan to figure out a way to cut through some of that nonsense and get their product in front of as many eyeballs as possible. That is how you maintain and grow the game. Yeah, I mean, I've been a subscriber of MLB.TV for a decade now, and I've never been able to watch a live Braves game through that app. I, I think that's something that frustrates a lot of fans. Um, but yeah, I don't necessarily know the impact. I do think that the Braves were uh, expect or sp supposed to get a big boost in revenue starting this upcoming year. And I don't know how, if that's going to happen now or how that plays out. So certainly yeah. something to, to keep an eye on for sure. Also from E Goldie says what one player on the current Braves team would you love to hang out with for a day? What would you talk them into doing? So uh, I don't know about the last part, but uh, the first player that came to my mind is actually Spencer Strider. I just think he's an interesting character and I always go back and reference the Fangraphs article that he did where I just loved his thought process on pitching and the way that he approaches it and and how he thinks so deeply about it. So I'd love to sit down with him and just have a, a deep talk about, you know, pitching and the movement on his pitches and how he attacks hitters. So I just think he's a, a very interesting person. Um, as far as what I would have him do, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably see if I could stand in the box against him without crying like a little girl. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think he, he'd be somebody that I definitely would love to hang out with for a day. Yeah, you're a braver man than I am if you want to step in the batter's <laughs> box with anything short of, of a crazy. Maybe wearing hockey gear, yeah. Yeah, maybe you put the L screen in front of you and let him throw. <laughs> but uh, either way, it would be very cool. And Spencer Strider has just this amazing you know, uh, outlook. You know, it just seems like this guy shouldn't be in his early to mid-20s. He's, he seems like somebody that's just kind of like very polished and, and very you know well-traveled, if you will. He just seems like he's beyond wise beyond his years. Uh, one, a couple of the guys I think would be really interesting. I've always had a, a lot of fun talking baseball with Mike Soroka from the time that he was 18 or 19 years old. I think the first time I met him in minor league camp. And then when he was pitching for Rome for that Sally league championship team in 2017, he's just, it's so much fun to talk pitching with this guy. And he's somebody that you would think is at least 10 years older, just based on the experience and the level of polish 
that he has and the way that he looks at the game. And I'm hoping that that's something that you know, is able to help carry him back onto the track that he was on prior to these injuries. If I was going for just a certain locale where I could hang out with a member of the Braves, you know, I'm a big fan of going to Hawaii. I've done it the last two off seasons so that I could kind of recharge and just really enjoy life in between baseball seasons. Kirby Yates is from Hawaii. Maybe he could teach me how to surf. I think that'd be pretty cool. Oh, well, I didn't know he was from Hawaii. That is, that yeah. is pretty cool. Uh, hoping he has a good year as well. Um, next question from Corey Slovic says, if the over-under on number of Braves to make the All-Star game is two and a half this season, how do you bet? So, Grant, I'll let you go first on this one. You taking the over-under at two and a half? I'll take the over. I, I think the Braves could have you know, four, if not more, All-Stars this coming year. I think you look at the po very real possibility on the pitching staff of of Max Fried, of Spencer Strider, perhaps Kyle Wright. Mike Soroka's been an all-star before. I don't know that he'll necessarily get back this year, but one can always hope and keep one's fingers crossed. Matt Olson, uh, Sean Murphy, and Austin Riley was an all-star last year. And then you've got Albies, Acuna, all-stars before. And then maybe Michael Harris is an all-star. Basically what I'm saying is the Braves are a very good team. <laughs> and if a whole bunch of them get to the all-star game, it's going to be because they're all having very good years, and that would bode well for the overall success of this club. Yeah, I, I think I would hammer the over. I'm not much of a yeah. betting man, but I, I think I would hammer the over pretty pretty significantly on that. And maybe this is bias coming in, but I feel like the Braves at least get three all-stars in. Yes. Uh, kind of like you mentioned. So, yeah, I'm definitely taking the over there. The Braves are full of all-stars on their team, and it is going to make it a very fun season for sure. Chris Schaff says, can you and Grant be part of the Braves broadcast booze? Thank you for that, Chris. But uh, the question was, do Mentor and Iglesias share the closer's role or is it primary Iglesias? I think it's Iglesias' job and, and not just because he's the highest paid reliever that the Braves have, though that usually hints at who's probably going to get uh, a, some very important outs, but just the way that it's lined up. And I, I know Iglesias came over and basically threw mostly in the seventh, sometimes the eighth. But without Jansen around and with the most closing experience, I mean, you just want somebody that you know that can come in and they can get the job done, which is a little bit different than the thinking of maybe Will Smith wasn't the Braves, quote-unquote, you know, best reliever at any time in which he was wearing a Braves uniform. But he could handle that job, and you have this, just this great supporting staff, including A.J. Mentor, who can get you some very big outs in order to get to it with Iglesias. I would imagine that it'll be Iglesias. Rysel will get most of the save opportunities this year, but you know they could get creative, and they do have guys, and AJ's done it a little bit himself, and I would trust him to get some big outs for me, and in fact, he's done that in a Braves uniform as well. Yeah, I, I would agree that Iglesias gets the bulk, but again, like you said, there are guys in here that can get the job done, and if Iglesias needs a break, you know, a mentor could step in, a Joe Jimenez you know, could mm -hmm. step in. They have guys that can come in and do it if need be but i do think iglesias gets the bulk of i'm gonna go to the chat for just a second joe me with the over under says 100 wins for the braves which way are you going this one's a little bit more difficult for me 100 wins is not an easy thing to do i know the braves just came off 101 win season but 100 wins that's a high mark and with the tough division the braves are in grant i'm probably going to go under on that one yeah, if I go under, it's not because I don't think that they right. can get there. It's just, is it likely? I mean, just looking at the Braves' history, if I'm not mistaken, and in fact, I'm sure I'm not, 2003 was the last 100-win year for this team before last year, and they needed all 101 wins last season to be able to hold off the Mets, including that stunning sweep at the end of the year to take the division away from them. Uh, but I don't know that you have to have 100 wins to win this division, but I just feel like the talent that's in this division, it would certainly go a long way. It would certainly help. 
but we know we have that balanced schedule or that that new schedule this year where you see everybody in Major League Baseball for the first time ever. That I think is going to be fun, and that is going to maybe introduce a little bit of a, of a different dynamic to how exactly the season plays out because you don't get 19 games against each team in your own division. So the Braves don't have to play the Mets 19 times, the Phillies 19 times. You're not as worried about the Nationals. The Marlins, I think, will be plucky at times, but you don't have to go against the Mets head-to-head in the way that you did last year. Though, if they didn't have that head-to-head late in the season, who knows how that would have played out. Yeah, and it, it could make it 100 wins easier or harder, depending yeah. on your division. I mean, like you said, the Braves don't have to play the Mets or Phillies many times. They get to play the Pirates, the Royals more times now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for a team like the Braves in a tough division, it may help them get to 100 wins. But still, that's a high watermark, like you said. Doesn't happen very often, so I'd probably still take the under on that. Uh, William Fulgham says, We know Soroka has the inside track to win the fifth starter. I think Elder has the most upside for the future. Braves only have two pitchers beyond 24. Uh, what are your guesses for filling their role? So more so asking, you know, beyond 24, uh, 2024, when Max Fried becomes a free agent, what is the outlook on the starting rotation for the Braves? You got Strider, you got Kyle Wright, you know, uh, Bryce Elder potentially as well. And you still hope to extend Freed, but there are some questions beyond the 2024 season for what the Braves starting rotation looks like. There are. And I know that a lot of us look at Soroka and think, man, I want him to be the fifth starter because, you know, what a story it would be and what a talent this guy was before he's injured. If he comes back and he's that guy, it makes the most sense. But I I would say, you know, Ian Anderson still has a role to play here. And I would tell anybody that looks at the Braves starting rotation and you love that front four. You are trying to figure out who the fifth is, but you're going to go through more than five starting pitchers over the course of 162. That's just going to happen. Guys are going to get called up for a different variety of reasons. Injuries could change the plans. Who knows what could go on? So I think that the Braves have some pretty decent depth there by having Anderson and Elder competing with Soroka for that final spot in the rotation. Who knows what kind of other moves they could make in season to maybe look for a veteran or even the kind of move that they did in, what, 2018? or 2019 with Anibal Sanchez when they went out and got him off the scrap heap and he had a career resurgence. You never know. Every once in a while you might find one of those. I wouldn't necessarily book that kind of move over Mike Soroka or Ian Anderson, but stranger things have happened. But uh, again, I mean, not to you know belabor the point, but I still think Ian Anderson has a role to play. So if you are projecting out beyond over the next three or four years, one of the great stories for the Braves would be that Ian Anderson is able to figure things out and, you know, get back on track himself after a real down year in 2022. I know he's been working hard. He was in that pitching laboratory over at Wake Forest trying to kind of you know, really refine himself and be ready to hit the ground running in spring training as well because he knows he's got to fight for a spot in rotation this year. Yeah, I mean, a guy that's had so much success on the biggest stages, yeah. you know, in Major League Baseball, you can't just give up on that. But there are some changes and adjustments that he needs to make. And I think the other part of this is, and we're talking two more full years away. The Braves have a lot of good pitching prospects. They're they're young. They're somewhat unproven at the higher levels. But, you know, A.J. smith Shaver is a, a pretty high upside arm. The guys they just drafted, Owen Murphy and J.R. Ritchie, you know, mm-hmm. high schoolers, you know, years away, but some talented arms. Cole Phillips, another guy they just drafted. Spencer Schwellenbach from a couple drafts ago. I mean, two years from now, these guys could be knocking on the door, ready to step up right. for an opportunity. So I think that's big as well. You have to hit it on these guys in the draft and hope that they're ready to take over. I mean, that's yeah. what the Braves, you know, when they did this whole rebuild, they they went out and got a lot of pitching. It's been a lot of position players who have come up and stuck, but 
or was able to stay here. But it was also that, you know, they they went out and got a lot of top talent pitching, hoping to hit on some of them. And they have they've gotten some good success with those guys. So you're also hoping to kind of retool at that position as well. JJ says, I think people are automatically assuming Travis Darno playing DH most every day is false. I doubt Snicker would use his only backup catcher in such a way. I expect Ozuna and his combination of the rest of the outfielders to get the most DH opportunities. Grant, I've had this discussion in the offseason as well because I think Travis Darno is the best option at DH right now. I think he's the best hitter of non-starters, but I do think Snicker tries to maybe shy away from using him so much, especially early on. I think he gives Ozuna a chance and he gives, you know, Hilliard and Luplo those guys a chance at the DH. But how do how do you think that Snicker will handle Travis Darno? Does he get 20, 30 starts in the DH position this year? Or does Snicker, you know, is he more hesitant to use, you know, his backup catcher that way? Yeah, I think that the Braves' plan this year, and they really kind of moved into it more begrudgingly last year, but then it was really hard to keep William Contreras' bat out of the lineup and then conversely uh, to keep Travis Darno's bat out of the lineup. And I, I think if Ronald Acuna Jr. hadn't had to DH so much, we might have seen more of both of those guys on days that they weren't catching it. So I think that the Braves have warmed up to the idea. And I know that when the Sean Murphy trade happened, that you know he, Alex Anthopoulos and Travis Darno discussed it and the indication was, and from what Darno said at FanFest, look, whoever's not catching might be DHing. And by being able to do that and by being able to share the load behind the plate, it should keep us fresher at the time we need to be, which of course is through the dog days of summer and into the fall and feeling like they're getting to the postseason and are not completely and totally worn down where we saw what Travis Darno had to catch every single inning of their run through the playoffs in 2021. So they're not in a position where they're going to have to do that again because they do have an all-star caliber catching duo in these two. And I think that they're going to split some DH duties because, and I know we might get into the Rosario and Ozuna thing. You hope that those guys bounce back. I think that my hopes are more so on Eddie Rosario being able to bounce back because he's had success more recently than has Marcel Ozuna, who has basically had two lost seasons and, and he's got to show something, I guess, but I just don't know that you're making plans around Ozuna when it comes to to winning. The money might keep him on the roster, but I don't think it necessarily guarantees him more at-bats at DH than either Darno or Murphy or Rosario or perhaps Jordan Luplo. We'll see. Yeah, I just have a, have a feeling, inclination, that they're going to give Ozuna a chance early on, and if it's not sure. working out, I, I could see them just letting him go. Because at this point, I agree. I think he's here because of the money, and, and I get it. That's a lot of money to just... Mm-hmm cut away but i honestly don't know what other reason why he, he's still on the roster at this point uh, i'm going to go to the chat section now joe me has a couple in here about dana brown he says i trust alex to replace dana but it is a big loss interesting to see if this changes the draft philosophy are we still going to be super heavy on pitching and then joe also said and i thought i wanted to note this also wonder who all dana poaches from our scouting department i'm sure he will want some of his people which is a good thought as well you know i talked about earlier it's not just him there's a lot of good people in that system, but mm-hmm. he may take some of them with him. So uh, a couple of comments there that I think very good from, from Joe Me in terms of what is the philosophy going forward in the draft for the Braves. They still pitch heavy, and who could Dana take with them? Yeah, I think they'll always be pitching heavy in the draft. It's just kind of been the way that they do it. And now that they have the international side back, and we mm-hmm. saw they'll look to sign mostly hitters on the international side of things. And that's not uncommon for a lot of different clubs, but – I think that's kind of been the way that the Braves did it and wanted to do it. And had they not had the sanctions handed to them, would have continued to do it, uh, it from 2017 through getting those back what the year before last. So 
that I expect to stay the same as far as the pitching heavy in the draft or, or getting a lot more arms through that method. As far as who could go to Houston, I, I don't know that he may take a lot. I think there's limits on that anyway. But the Astros also have a pretty complete front office, which is not to say that Dana can't come in and kind of begin to put some people in place and to you know make systems his own and to kind of take ownership of it. But it'll be interesting to see. And this is the second major Braves executive in the last what couple of years that's left and taken a GM's job because Perry Manassian went out to uh, Los Angeles to take over the Angels and you know, God bless him trying to figure that out because it looks like Artie Moreno is going to hang out for a while and uh, they're going to have to figure out the Shohei Otani business. But that aside, I, I don't really have any real finger on the pulse of who exactly could be going with Dana to Houston. Yeah. Um, another over-under, Spencer Thompson says, over-under, three pitchers with 15 wins. Now, Grant, pitcher wins are completely hard to predict especially in this yeah. day and age and i think that's a a pretty high feat if the over under is at three i'd probably take the under on that i don't know what a push does for you but uh, i'd probably i'd probably say three is the max so i'd take the under there no i would also take the under i, I just don't see the guys having a chance to be around to be able to you know factor in all of those decisions you're always going to have somebody on the staff and this past year it was kyle wright who he pitched well enough to earn those wins because that was, you know, he was on the mound doing the work and the offense obviously showed up and gave him those leads and he was able to do that. But then you have somebody on the staff that they pitch well, but they never seem to factor in the mm. decision. They have this inexplicable, you know, close to 500 record, or maybe they're somehow weirdly nine and seven, something like that. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And Max Fried didn't win 15 games last year. Charlie Morton didn't. Um, it's hard to say that, you know, Spencer Strider, I'm not saying he'd had an innings limit, but, can't necessarily guarantee that 15 win. Uh, I don't know that the, the marker it's hard to get there, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying. And it's mostly because you get to that sixth inning, you got a bullpen as good as the Braves. If you're in a tie game or if a lead gets away every now and again, you're going to lose some of those decisions because the bullpen is just such a big part of the game of baseball these days. And the Braves bullpen so good that, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to come in early in the game. It may be a tie situation and, and you may not get the win. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just so hard to predict pitcher wins these days and how it's going to go. I remember Jacob DeGrom forever in, in New York could not get a win to save his life because yeah. they just would not score whenever he pitched and he'd lose a lot of games, one nothing. So uh, the pitcher win has definitely been devalued a lot in today's game. I, I still think it's somewhat meaningful to be able to pitch you know deep in a game and, and keep your team in front uh but it is it's so hard to predict uh in today's environment for sure with the bullpenning a couple of questions on ron acuna jr Heath johnson says is he 100 on opening day i believe the question for that right now is yes and then uh, austin reed says curious how acuna had the okay to play for venezuela recently but not cleared yet for WBC. I don't know if this was addressed at FanFest or not, Grant, but uh, I'm pretty sure this is more to do with the timing of when the WBC is compared to the Venezuelan League. Yeah, it has to do with the timing of it happening in the midst of spring training. Of course, there's a health concern too if you're going to be gone for that long. And you can't wrap these guys in bubble wrap. They can get hurt doing a variety of different things. I mean, Ronald got hurt leaping for a fly ball in the outfield. It was a fluke freak injury. And those kinds of thing hap things happen, and it could happen at any point. And knock on wood, hopefully it does not. But I just feel like that was kind of the thing that deterred the club and, and ultimately Ronald from playing in the WBC. I'm sure he would like to, all things considered. That's what he said at FanFest. But from a medical standpoint, trying to get back to a fully healthy season, which last year was a good step in the right direction. He wasn't on the injured list for long periods of time, but 
there was a lot of aches and pains in trying to get himself you know, back to normal. So him playing winter ball in Venezuela, I think, I don't want to say it was a compromise, but it was something he wanted to do. The club wanted to allow him to do that. But having done all of that, I think they'd like to have him with a normal spring training, be able to monitor him, be able to have him ready to go so that they can go out and win a World Series. And Ronald's as aware of any as anybody is, he didn't get to play in the last World Series. He wants to play in the next one. If they're going to win another one, he's going to be a big part of it too. I certainly agree. Look, I would love to see him in the World Baseball Classic because it is, it's a fun event that I enjoy and as a fan would love to see him in there. But I get it from a Braves perspective. They they need a healthy Ronald Acuna Jr. and they need to see him in spring training to manage that workload and get him ready for a full season so that he can be the best that he can be, which hopefully ends in an MVP season. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Lockdown Braves. Thank you so much for the questions submitted, whether on Twitter or in the chat section. Thank you to Grant for joining me. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Grant McCauley. Again, thanks for making Lockdown Braves your first listen of every day. Now go make your second listen to Lockdown MLB podcast, where MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and a unique perspective talking about the biggest stories from around the league. Again, thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Lockdown underscore Braves. Follow me at Shortstop Ball. Make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the Lockdown Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast. and we will talk to you next time. Hey, this is Stacey Gotsoulias. D.C. Lundberg. Ryan Finkelstein. Taylor Blake Ward. Host of Locked On Yankees. Locked On Mariners. Locked On Mets. Locked On Angels. And you're listening to Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 